0: If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 12? And if you don't have a Bible and want to use one of our red ones in the the chair in front of you, Romans 12 is on page 552. We are beginning uh, a new sermon series, uh, a short series. It'll just be three weeks, uh, this week and the next two weeks. And we're calling it Rhythms of Grace. Now, when you hear Rhythms of Grace, you might think about, you know, Rhythms song, and, you know, maybe we're going to talk about the songs that we sing in church. And we, we will touch on that a little bit in the third week. But by Rhythms, I, I, mean, I mean, it's similar, but I, I, mean, I mean that beat that our lives move to. That we've got these patterns and routines in our life, these rhythms that, that happen all around us. Sometimes we don't realize that we've got those rhythms. Other times we choose to engage in those rhythms. But these rhythms, they shape our lives. They build together and determine the kind of person that we are. And that's what we're going to look at in this series. What are the rhythms that we have in our life? Uh, whether individually or together as the church, what are the regular things that we do that shape who we are as disciples of Jesus? My hope is that in this series we would realize and come to learn the ways that God wants to use those rhythms to give us his grace so that we can remember his love for us, So that we can recall and and tell ourselves that we are forgiven in Christ. So that, that in the middle of our day, we can remember the Lord is with us. That is my hope for this series called Rhythms of Grace. And as we start, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, the first uh, two verses. Um, I I added the first verse, so it won't be on the screen. Um, But we're going to look at the first two verses. And and then we're going to look at um, the way that the world wants to conform us. We're going to look at how the Spirit transforms us. And we're going to be reminded that the gospel always saves us. So we're going to look at how the world conforms us, how the Spirit transforms us, and how the gospel always saves us. Let's read Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of Christians in Rome, and at the end of his epistle, his letter, he writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, we pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see your grace in the midst of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When Lisa Allen was 34, her husband left her. She was sitting on $10,000 of debt. She was a chain smoker, had been an alcoholic since she was 16, and had struggled with obesity most of her adult life. Her life was a mess. In order to get away from the stress of this divorce, she went on a trip by herself uh, to Egypt, wanting to put distance between her and this relationship that was ending. And while she was in Egypt, Lisa took a bus ride uh, through some of the Sahara Desert on a tour. And as she was there, she, she told herself and she challenged herself. And she said, one day, I, I'm going to backpack through this portion of the desert. And she soon realized that if she ever was going to fulfill that challenge there were things that would need to change about her life. So she said right there and then she was going to stop smoking. Cold turkey. And she did. She went home. She stopped smoking. And then she realized, all right, this is good. Now I'm going to change my diet. She stopped drinking. Then she started working out. She started training and building muscle and feeling better. This actually spilled over into the rest of her life. She began to have this sense of confidence. She changed jobs, started working her way out of her debt. She started actually running marathons. She started looking about 10 years younger than she did before. Now, she never did actually get back to the desert, but this one decision to stop smoking, to change her habits, it it radiated to the rest of her life, and her life completely changed. The rhythms of our lives are not just these piecemeal behaviors. No, these patterns and routines, one after another, they work together to make us who we are. As one author put it, the way we spend our days is, of course, the way we spend our lives. They work together, day in and day out. Ultimately, they give shape to who we are becoming as individuals and as a church. That's why Paul, in this chapter, in verse 2, warns us. Do not be conformed to this world. Or I really like how the NIV puts it, which says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Paul knows what we know, that the rhythms of our life give shape to who we are. The patterns of this world work together to form us into a particular kind of person. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. And by the world, what Paul is saying is that whatever in this world that exists outside of the kingdom of God, anything that is outside of the reign and rule of Christ as king is part of the world. The world, we can think of it in sort of two ways. There is the kingdom of God, and then everything else. Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, and so become part of the world. Do you believe that the world is trying to change you, and form you, and shape you? into looking like itself? I like to think of that, the, the kid's toy, um, like the, the Play-Doh extruder machine. You like put Play-Doh and then you pump the thing and then it squeezes it out like spaghetti. The world is pressing in on our lives and it is shaping us to become something. Do you believe that? Four weeks ago, The beginning of October, I went into Walmart to buy candy for the Trunk or Treat event that we were going to be inviting um, people to visit Story Church at. Beginning of October, and in the corner of Walmart, Christmas trees, Christmas lights, Christmas decorations. I mean, there are two major holidays yet to have occurred, and yet they're ready to celebrate Christmas, I just read last week on Monday, November 1st, that most stores are making Black Friday sales available now. Like, you can get your holiday shopping done now and just be set and ready for Christmas. Like, that doesn't surprise us, right? Because... Everything about this holiday season now has has shaped us into believing that the purpose of this season that we're not even yet celebrating is all about the spectacle and the, the things that you can buy and the events that you can go to and the ways you can decorate your house. like, there are advertising campaigns out right now trying to shape your understanding of what this holiday season is primarily about. I mean, think about Christmas Vacation, that, that great movie. Or even Hallmark movies. Those are instilling in us this sense of expectation of the magic that can happen around Christmas time. That they set the expectations of what our family get togethers should look like we are pressed on every way shaping us into what the world wants us to look like but it doesn't happen just around christmas no take a moment and think about the 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 news media or the internet services that you use to get information from have you ever asked yourself in what way are they trying to shape me into being someone Last year, the New York Times released a podcast called Rabbit Hole. And, and in that podcast, they, they followed a young man, a single man in his mid-20s, who um, was watching YouTube videos, learning ideologies and political perspectives on YouTube. And, and we all know what happens with YouTube. You, you finish one video, and then it pops up, oh, if you liked this, you might like this. Well, this podcast followed this individual who... Video after video after video found himself hearing and then believing these ideologies that he once considered extreme. Yet now he fully bought into them. And, And don't you see, YouTube was pressing in on this person to make him into a certain kind of person, Video after video, swipe after swipe, scroll after scroll, we are shaped by this world. Mark Zuckerberg was just in front of Congress two weeks ago, trying to defend his company. Why? Because documents were leaked that showed that Mark and the rest of the leadership knows that their platform and what they put in front of people's faces day in and day out is destructive, And yet they ignore it. I mean, there were case after case of social anxiety issues, self-esteem and body image problems, and in some cases, suicidal actions. Because of the rhythms put in front of us every day, day in and day out. The rhythms of this world are trying to shape us. They tell us what we're supposed to look like how our families are supposed to function. They tell us what is wrong with the world and how we're supposed to fix those problems. They tell us what color lives matter. They tell us the heroes in society. They're the ones, that they tell us how we're supposed to spend our time, what we're supposed to do with our money. The world around us is shaping us. Do you see it? Paul wants us to ask, are we being shaped to look like the world or are we being shaped to look like a citizen of God's kingdom? Do you recognize it when the advertising company grabs at your heart and draws you in, do you hear yourself when you start repeating the very things you read and hear, at the news outlet of your choice? Do you have eyes to see the ways in which the world is trying to form you? David Foster Wallace, the uh, American novelist, gave a commencement address, and he began it this way. There was once two fish swimming, and they came across a third fish swimming the other way, and that third fish said to them, "'Morning, guys. How's the water?' He kept on swimming." And a few minutes later, one fish turned to the other and said, what the heck is water? Do we have eyes to see the way in which we're surrounded by these pressures? Do you see the water that we're swimming in? Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. But then he goes on to say, but be transformed. Transformed. By the renewal of your mind. You see, yes, the world wants to form us into its image, but we know that the Spirit can transform us. The Spirit will transform us. That's what Paul says. Renewal. This is the job of the Spirit, this is His role in our lives. This is the one, the spirit, the third person of the Trinity that brought us from death to life. That that opened our eyes and our minds to see and behold and to understand and to trust in the gospel of our salvation. This is the one who removed our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh that beats to a new rhythm. The Spirit will transform our minds. What does that mean? What does it mean to have our minds renewed? Well, it doesn't mean to merely think differently about the world. It doesn't mean that if you just change your perspective, well, then your life will change. It doesn't mean if you just remind yourselves of how evil the world is, well, then you'll actually resist it. That's not what Paul is saying. Here's why I know that that's not what Paul is saying. It has been one week since Halloween, and I have consumed more chocolate in the last seven days than I have all year round. I'm not joking. Here's the thing, though. I know in my head, that that's not good. (laughs) I feel it in my body. It is not healthy for me to consume that much chocolate. I know that that's true, and yet, man, I'm still going to eat some today and tomorrow, and until I get sick or Sarah throws it away, I'm going to keep eating that chocolate. You see, We can't just know things and have that change our lives. There is this disconnect between the way we think about the world and the way that we actually live in the world. And so Paul is not saying, hey, take a class on worldviews and then that'll change the way you live. He's not saying read a book or listen to a podcast about the dangers of society and the glories of God and that'll change the way you live. He's not saying just learn something new. He's not talking about that kind of mind. The way he's talking about mind here is is not necessarily the, the epicenter of our thinking. He's talking about it as the place from which we move. The the, the part of our body that directs us. You know, we use the phrase, we, we might say, man, that guy is out of his mind. And we don't primarily think that there's something wrong with his thinking. What we see is he's acting in a way out of accord with who he is, he's out of his mind. When Jesus calls us to repent, and, and to come to him. That word repentance in the Greek is two words. It's a compound word. To change your mind. But to repent isn't just to think differently. It's to behave differently. Yeah, thinking is part of it. But it's this whole body transformation. So Paul is saying the spirit will transform your life through the renewal of your mind. This is what the Spirit does. You know, when I used to hear or read or think about what the Spirit of God does, um, I was always a little bit confused. Maybe you are too. Like, Jesus, I understand. He's got flesh and bones like me. You know, we can read stories of him eating and sleeping and talking and walking and doing things. He's like one of us. He makes sense. Now, now God the Father, a little bit more abstract, but, hey, I've got, a, I've got a, a, an earthly father. I, I know about this relationship between fathers and sons and what it means to be part of my dad's family, so I, I, I have this concept of what it means to have a heavenly father. But the Spirit? What does that mean? Like, how does the Spirit work? What does the Spirit do? When Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, how does the Spirit do that? Maybe you've asked that question too. When we look at what the Bible talks about the Spirit doing, we see a few things. We see that He fills us. We, we see that he moves within us, that he compels us. It's almost the sense in which the spirit is inside of us, acting through us, causing us to do something. And it's hard to describe. It's like the spirit is this animating power and energy that enables us and empowers us and compels us to do The things that please God. The things that God is even calling us to do. It's working within us. God himself working within us to do the things God wants us to do. You and I, for anyone who is a citizen of the kingdom of God, we are called to cultivate godly rhythms We are called to do that, to act and to obey and to listen to God's word. And and that is what will transform us. But those things, they don't necessarily or automatically work. They need the spirit to work in us and through us and with us. That's how we are transformed and renewed in our mind. God grows us and shapes us when the Spirit is present and working alongside us. Yes, we are the ones working it, but the Spirit is within us, doing the work. It's this strange active passivity thing. We're like, yes, we need to be active and do the very things God calls us to do, But it's passive because we're the freely given recipients of the Spirit doing it within us. That is how the Spirit transforms us. If we want to grow, if we want to cultivate these godly rhythms, it is in those godly rhythms that God will work in us and form us into the very kinds of people that he wants us to be. These daily regular rhythms. Like in any other area of life, practice makes perfect. I mean, practice is, is the key, repetition is the key to developing these skills. First Timothy chapter four says this. Paul again writing to Timothy says, Train yourselves for godliness. Train yourselves. He says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise not only for the present life, but also the life to come. Look, I've got a a membership to the Wildcat Sport and Fitness Center. I haven't gone lately because of the chocolate. Uh, But it is of value for me to go and to train my body. How much more value should it be then to train in godliness? You've probably heard the phrase, it takes, what, 10,000 hours to become an expert in something? It's probably longer than that. Like Look, I looked up what it would take me to learn how to play piano up here for church. And, and if I practice for 30 minutes Every day, it would take me seven years to become just an intermediate piano player. Every day in and out requires that repetition, that training to acquire a new skill. We know that this is true. You have to practice, you have to develop new rhythms if you want to progress. You have to get better every time. You practice on the days that you want to. You practice on the days you don't want to. You train your body. You train your mind. You train your muscles to know what to do when you need to do it. It's it's muscle memory. Why why don't we then take this principle and apply it to our spiritual lives? Why don't we discipline ourselves and train ourselves to create soul memory? Where are the the rhythms and repetitions of our lives on the days we want to do and the days we don't want to do that train us in godliness? Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to grow in your knowledge of God's word? Do you want to see growth in your prayer life or in your generosity, your humility, in your service to one another? Do you want to grow in being patient and gentle and kind? Do you want to grow and become more like Christ? Well, let's work on it. Let's practice it. Let's train our bodies and our hearts and our minds. Let's build that soul memory within us. Let us put in place spiritual rhythms those rhythms that the Spirit of God will meet us in and work on us in and shape us in. We need soul memory. We need to cultivate godly rhythms if we want to grow in godliness. That's what the Spirit is going to do. Paul also, though, and and finally reminds us that the gospel always saves us. And, and here's why I have to say this. Has anyone ever started like a uh, read the Bible in a year plan on January 1st? All right, Right around like the end of February, beginning of March, you hit Leviticus, and it's hard. It, it's, you know, it doesn't make sense. You get bored. You put it down. And the next thing you know, it's June, and you feel guilty. Anyone ever bought like, or received as a gift like a 365-day prayer journal where it's like you have a prompt every day to write your prayers down? Yeah, you've got great ambition to do that. Maybe you've got like eight days filled out, but then the rest of the journal's empty. I've, I've done that. We can feel so guilty and shamed By by trying to put into place these spiritual rhythms only to find that we stink at it. That's why Paul starts with verse 1. He doesn't start with verse 2. He starts with verse 1. This is what he says in verse 1. In light of the mercies of God, do this. Brothers, I appeal to you, by the mercy of God, do this. He has to start with verse 1, because in verse 1, we see the power that enables us to do these things. We see in verse 1 the power that will sustain us in these things, even when we give up. Because in verse 1, Paul is saying, remember everything that I have taught you in chapters 1 through 11. And only after you know that in your heart, now, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed in your mind. What is he taught in Romans 1 through 11? We probably won't do a sermon series on that for a couple years, but what is he taught in Romans 1 through 11? We could boil it down to one word. He has taught us the gospel. He has taught us over and over again the good news that we are justified not by our works, but by our faith in Jesus. We do not have a relationship with God that is conditional upon whether or not we do these spiritual rhythms. We have a relationship with God based on Jesus Christ. When Paul says we are justified, he says we have a relationship with God. We are forgiven of our sins. We have a secure relationship with our Heavenly Father. Not because you earned it. Not because you You disciplined your mind and your body, and you woke up every day at six, and you read through the Bible. You don't have a relationship with God because you filled out your prayer journal. You don't have a relationship with God because you don't look like the world. You have a relationship with God because Jesus Christ died in your place and has given you his life. His perfect righteousness His perfect relationship with the Father is yours as a free gift through faith. So now, when you struggle and stumble and fall, creating these rhythms, and the Father looks down at you, he does not see someone who keeps messing up. He does not see someone who said, you had such high ambition, what happened? He does not see someone that failed. He sees his beloved child in whom he is well-pleased. Do not start spiritual rhythms, rhythms of grace, because you want a relationship with God. You only have that through Jesus. And, and, and don't, don't feel like God has given up on you if you end up giving up on those Spiritual rhythms also. The gospel says God has not given up on you. Your relationship with him is not conditional upon you doing this, that, or the other. It is based on Christ. He has already lived in your place. He has died in your place. He has already given you his righteousness through faith if that is where your relationship with him is, if that is the basis of your relationship with him, well then, our spiritual rhythms, these rhythms of grace, they can deepen and strengthen our relationship with him. That's why Paul reminds us of the gospel. Now, in closing, I just want to give some very practical applications about how to include and operate these rhythms of grace. Whether they are reading the Bible on a daily basis, whether they are striving to grow in your, your, your prayer life, maybe it is becoming more hospitable as a family. Here are some practical applications first. Ask God to help you. I mean, go to him first in prayer and say, God, I want you to grow in me. I want you to cultivate these these rhythms of godliness in me. And that's a, that's a prayer that he'll never say no to. First, ask God for help. Second, seek help from others. Like, don't do this alone. A- ask someone else to keep you accountable. Say, hey, you know, I might not be graded, but I'm going to try to start reading my Bible more. Would you ask me, like, next week or every Wednesday, how am I doing? Will you, will you ask me how my prayer life is going? Ask others to do it alongside you. Maybe, maybe that means calling someone up at seven in the morning and saying, hey, can we just sit on the phone and pray for five minutes together? Third, choose an anchor habit. Choose one thing, maybe that is reading or praying or even attending worship. Focus on that one habit and trust that the lord will radiate that training that godliness into other areas of your life fourth start small and realistic don't try to read the whole bible in a month and figure out what works for you start small start realistic but start someplace fifth give yourself grace Like, you're going to miss a day. It's okay. Give yourself grace to come back. Don't feel like you've messed it up. God gives us grace. Let's give ourselves grace. And then finally, let's be persistent. Let's keep going. Even when we don't see the fruit, when we don't see the growth that we want out of it, keep going. Like, if I want to learn piano, I'm going to have to do it on days I don't want to learn. But If we want to grow in godliness, we got to keep going. Trusting in the Lord, believing that the Spirit is working in us, and remembering that like, Jesus has already saved us. This, this isn't for our salvation. This is to deepen our understanding and experience of that salvation. Let's pray.